We are concluding, finishing a series uh, today called The Other Side of Fear, okay? It's The Other Side of Fear. And, and the reason we felt the need to kind of talk about this was not just because of what we're seeing in our culture in terms of this rise of sort of the spirit of fear and this rise of people living by fear, especially over the last few years, um, but we also understood that like most people would not assume they are living out of fear but then when you start to break down what, what the Bible really does say, I think Paul says it best. This is our, our key verse or our theme verse for the series. I'm going to read it, and then I want you guys to read it together with me because I really want this to, to kind of set a foundation in your mind and in your heart. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that the reality is that the spirit of fear is something that's underneath the surface. It's not something all the time that you can put your finger on. He says, but he didn't give you the spirit of fear that other things are rooted in. He says, but, but of power and of love and a sound mind. This is the supernatural resources you have because of who God is in your life. Let's read it together. All right, let's read it out loud. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. One more time. Read it out loud. Ready? For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. God knew that we were going to need this. He knew that we were going to need this constant reminder. As a matter of fact, don't be afraid or fear not is one of the most repeated commands, instructions in the whole of the scriptures. It's like the constantly repeated. Why? Because God knew that we were going to have things that were going to cause fear. It was going to be a spirit of fear that was going to exist and was going to be something that we were naturally going to struggle with. But this idea, again, going back to the big picture, this fear doesn't have to be something that runs your life because God constantly instructs, like, don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because I am with you. There's always a reason for that, which is because of my presence uh, with you. So the question that the series we wanted to really kind of walk through was, how do we get to the other side of fear? How do we move past it? Okay, not, not that the fear doesn't exist, not that we don't have reason for fear to exist in our life, but how do we get through it? How do we navigate past it in order for us to experience what is on the other side? I really do believe the freedom and the life that God is calling you and calling his children to most of the time rests on the other side of fear, kind of getting through the things that the spirit of fear has taken root in our lives. Now, I gave you the example. I forgot to bring it today. I, I just forgot it. But it's a response plan. We basically said, look, we need a response plan. And I gave you guys the illustration the last couple of weeks of that, uh, that kind of risk guy that the quarterbacks wear, right? Like when you're up in the line of scrimmage and they're, and they're getting ready to see what the defense is doing. Every team comes into the game with a game plan, but there's always a response plan, which is practiced and rehearsed and prepared so that when the defense starts doing something crazy, they can go, oh, we didn't know they were going to do that. All right, let's, let's open this up. Let's do this. So it's a response plan. And last week, we specifically talked about how, what it looks like when fear kind of takes root. Again, well, we normalize it, right? Accepting all of its forms, perfectionism, procrastinism, anxiety, worry, anger, panic, apprehension, impatience, success, compromise, and every control issue you can think of. When we normalize all those things, we just don't consider the fact that we're at war with a spirit of fear. I said this last week, and this will be the last uh, recap slide, but 
Our fear is always in response to what could be. It's almost always circumstantial. It's always almost unknown. It's almost always driven in the sort of the what ifs and the and the things that you struck you personally struggle with. But it's always the what could be because fear is kind of that false prophet. You know, it's that thing that's trying to make you aware of something that's going to happen, even though it actually hasn't happened yet. But our faith, our faith is actually a response to who God is, who he is. That's what our faith is. Our faith is actually a response to who God is. When we're experiencing anything with the spirit of fear, it has everything to do with what could be, everything kind of what we can see. But our faith is a response to who he is and that he's with us. And I told you a little bit about last week, and I think you guys, I actually got one question on it, which is great. Um, The lizard brain is just a term, okay, just to kind of walk you through this again. The lizard brain is just a term that has to do with sort of the oldest part of what they call the the limbic system. In in, in your mind, it's the oldest part. They call it the reptile brain or the lizard brain or like the most basic instinct in humans and in mankind. God created it, put it there, right? It's the amygdala. It's just another word for the amygdala. It's where all the emotions are sitting, right? It's where all the emotions sit. And it reacts so much faster than your prefrontal cortex, which is where you actually process things, where you actually think about things, where you actually kind of sort through things. Your amygdala, your emotions are always in action far before you guys actually process things, right? I don't know if you know that this is true or not, but hopefully you do. Emotions always precede logic, right? Men, hopefully you've known, you've figured this out at some point, right? Emotions are always going to precede any logical thinking or logical thought. And it's not that different for men. Men just call it their gut. They call it something different because it sounds more manly. It's my gut, you know. But it precedes processing. It precedes actual thought. And psychologists and counselors who work with people, especially when they're working through the, the elements of fear, the you know, depression and anxiety and worry and insecurities, they always talk about triggers. You guys heard that word before? They talk about triggers. They talk about things that start a process where your amygdala goes into full gear, like it responds immediately. Just imagine someone running through here with their hair on fire shouting, everybody panic. Like some of you would immediately panic. You wouldn't know why you're panicking, but it would be a response. And so, you know, basically it's like they're saying, well, there's a trigger that happens. There's something that happens that sort of starts the ball rolling. And oftentimes it will be a progression of things. And they help you work through, well, how can you work through those? How do you, again, engage that prefrontal cortex? How do you engage that so that you can, you, you can't necessarily remove triggers. Some you can. But, but when it happens, what do you do? How do you respond? Okay. Respond is the key there. So today we're going to talk through this big idea. How to take what holds you captive, captive. Everybody with me? How do you take what, what's, what wants to keep you stuck, what wants to imprison you, how do you take that actually captive? How do you take what, keep, what, what wants to keep you captive or take you captive, how do you... Take it captive. I think I shared with you last week um, the story of my car, car trouble, right? Car trouble was a button for me that God just knew and had to kind of work through and process for me. 
But I have many other triggers. I have other things that can set off lots of things. I have lots of voices in my head, you know, that I have to process through. And there are always emotions that accompany those things, or actually, again, precede those things, that can get me stuck in where I am. And again, at the church, we, we, we talk about this in many levels. We talk about Enneagram stuff. We talk about, you know, the transforming of our mind uh, through Scripture. We talk about all the ways in which you're made, all the ways in which you are spiritually gifted. Like, all of these things eventually point back to the way you process things. And no, and no one in here is exactly the same, even if you have a similar number or score the same or, you know, have similar spiritual gifts. Like, you're all different. So you have to kind of do the work today to kind of personalize this, because there's no way I can give you example after example after example that will apply to you of what those triggers are and what it does to you when your ex shows up, right, and says that thing that he knows just gets right under your skin. When your kids respond, especially your teenagers and teenagers respond, the worst part is when they respond like you did when you were a kid. You know what I'm talking about? That's the worst. To see you and your kid, oh, you want to smack you right out of you. You know, like right out of them. Now you know what your parents felt like, right? So, so again, you're going to have to do the work to kind of apply this, but the reality is that every one of us has these little things that, that can oftentimes trigger a response before we've actually had the chance to process a response. And oftentimes those things are not from God. They're not necessarily bad, but they're not from God. And they can lead us straight into the spirit of fear. They can lead us down a path you don't want to go. And that oftentimes can get us stuck. So we're going to read a couple of passages today as how Paul was helping the church work through this. How are they working through and processing their 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 own journey of working with the spirit of fear. So here's, we're going to go start in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 5, I believe. 2 Corinthians 10, and then we're going to read a portion of Ephesians or a reference portion of Ephesians a little bit later. But here's, here's a new thought. Paul has been writing the church. He's written several letters to the church in Corinth because they've, they've had lots of issues. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, there's lots of issues in the church in Corinth. Paul wants to encourage them, challenge them, teach them. And here's a new thought he begins in this chapter, and he says, look, we are human. We, he's talking to, to everybody. He says, look, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. Okay? It doesn't look the same as Paul's getting ready to talk about the battle ahead. He says, well, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning. We're going to knock down these, these bases, if you will, these strongholds, these footholds of human reasoning, and we're going to destroy false arguments. He goes on to say, we destroy also every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. Everything that rises up in the way we want to destroy those, those, those obstacles that are filled with pride. As a matter of fact, I love the NIV uh, word the NIV uses is we're going to destroy every pretension, right? It's, it's a false claim or a claim that, 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 that's, that's spoken in such a way that's absolute certainty. But we're going to take every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, what we know about God. 
We're going to destroy every one of those. Keep going. And then it goes on to say, we're going to capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I love that, that last phrase. We're going to take capture. We're going to take captive these rebellious thoughts, things that do not come from God, and we're going to put it under the authority of Jesus Christ. We're going to tell it, you got to obey Christ. You have to obey God. Not only about you, but if you look at that list, I'll give you a quick recap. That's some strong language that Paul's using. Strong language of, of taking the things that they would have had a common understanding of, strongholds of human reasoning. I mean, again, the Corinth, the, the, the human reasoning happening in Corinth where it was a whole nother level, they probably were very similar to sort of the modern Western church, to be honest. Like, they have a very, there's some similar, like, parallel things that they were constantly dealing with that you can learn a lot just from reading those, those, two, uh, those two books to, to Corinth, right? It, there are strongholds of human reasoning that, that he's like, you got to knock these down. Let me give you one example. One example of, of one that we deal with all the time. Let me just see if this, this triggers anything in you. People just need to be their true, authentic self. You guys ever hear that? People just, you know what, it'd be great if people could just be their true version of themselves, their authentic, you know, who they really are inside. If they could just express that, everything would be great. Do you know what kind of a hot mess of garbage that actually is? <laughs> Do you read the Bible? Because that is not, let me just tell you, theologically, that is not true. That is not the state of mankind. Go read Genesis 6. All right? Go, go look at every single tribe that people that we've discovered in the past, tribes that have been in pockets of darkness all to themselves without any influence at all. What do you find there? What do you actually find? You find people being their true, authentic self without any learned behaviors from Western culture, and it's all peace and utopia? No. You find warring civilizations. You find men who treat children and women as, as, as assets and, and commodities. You find cannibalism. Because what God says actually resides in the hearts of men is not good at all. So please, listen, just do me a favor. Don't share any of this garbage on Facebook or on your social media. Just be your true self. No, no. Your true self is a horrible train wreck. Do not be your truth. It's the worst advice you give anyone. But listen, is that not a pinnacle of human reasoning today? Are we not listening to human reasoning? And, and Paul is like, there's a stronghold in Christians that believe that might actually be true. That doesn't have anything to do with what the Word of God actually says. He says, you have to war against that. You're going to have to put that to death. You're going to have to knock those down. If you're going to do business with the stuff that's coming against you. So I didn't know if you know this, but like the, with those words, our response plan really is a call to fight. Those are fighting words. They are a call to fight. Freedom takes sacrifice. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes something on our end to experience. Don't hear me say salvation. Salvation comes from God alone. But the freedom that he brings in terms of the sanctification, we'll be talking about that in a few weeks, 
does have a lot to do with our own effort and our own willingness to surrender and our own willingness to obey and our own willingness to do the work that he called us to do to prepare ourselves for the battle that's at hand. You can't do that by showing up once a month, right? You can't show up once a month and and get yourself prepared with a response plan to the human reasoning, to the false arguments, right, to the strongholds, to the pretensions that are at war with you every single day. It requires more. It requires more work. It requires more intentionality. You can't show up once a month and, re- and never read your Bible and, and expect God to answer your little quick little help me prayers when you've done none of the work. You've done nothing to prepare. You have zero response plan. That sounds harsh, but it's meant to. Like it's It's true. He doesn't have mercy. Thank God he doesn't have mercy on us. I want to address really quickly, too, like, there's a little bit of a current climate right now with Christians. Well, I'm using that loosely. Hold on. There's a current climate that's attached to Christians in this current culture about what it looks like when Christians rise together and we, you know, we're going to fight this and we're going to fight that. And it's kind of been happening over the last decade or so. And here's the problem. It's always kind of driven around earthly things. It's always driven around, you know, politics or rights or entitlements or things that we're just, you know, that kind of affect, only affect us, might not affect anybody else. And Christians sort of slap the Jesus bumper sticker on it and like, yay, we're going to fight this in the name of God, which sounds about as dumb as the Crusades. Everybody with me? But that, that right now is kind of a cultural tension for a lot of Christians especially when they see things online, that it's like, well, we should be fighting. We should be fi- This is what it looks like to fight. And here's the problem, is that all of that fighting is still driven by a spirit of fear. It's still driven by a spirit of failure. It's still driven by a spirit of loss. It's still driven by a spirit that, ha- or, you know, dr- driven by things that have their roots in a spirit of fear. And I got to be honest with you, it doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Christian or slap the Christian, you know, bumper sticker on it. God is not pleased. He is not honored by that. Now, don't hear me say, don't fight for your freedoms. Because I believe as citizens, you should. Don't hear me say, don't argue and fight. And I mean, go back to what we just did our last series. Don't, don't hear me say that you don't have biblical convictions that you stand on, that you are unmoved in. Everybody with me? But hear me say, <laughs> everybody's going to get mad at me today. Hear me say that when it's driven by a spirit of fear, this Christian fight, yeah, for America, America, you know. I heard a guy say this one time, and I just loved it. It was like, you know, God does not, he does not stand for our national anthem. He doesn't. He has no allegiance to this country. There is no America first in God's agenda. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the Oh, yeah, we probably should remember that. Just don't, just don't let this distract you. That's a tangent. I don't need to get back to things. Okay, sorry. That was free. I'm not going to charge you for that. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is the Hebrew, written Hebrew word for fear. There's lots of them. Don't, don't hear just one. There are several Hebrew words for fear that mean different things. The Hebrew language is very picture, very oriented in illustration. But this one has to do with this terrifying fear, this irrational fear. When 
you oftentimes see that do not fear, don't be afraid. It is this word. Now, I can't even say it well. It's like farad or fahed is the actual way to say it. And, and, the, and the Hebrew goes from right to left. I don't know if you guys knew that. It was written, it's written from right to left and read from right to left. And it has this, like, like the worst thing imaginable. Again, all those what ifs and all those what could be, where God says, do not fear. Everything that the lizard brain, that amygdala, pushes those, those emotions to kind of force us into this place of, of responding in our emotion, responding in fear, goes to this word, fahed. Now, there's a rabbi named Rabbi Lippin, Daniel Lippin. He's a, uh, he's, a, he's a financial guy who has seen a lot, um, but he's, he teaches financial principles out of the Torah because he's, he's Jewish. But it's interesting. He had a, a conversation one day where he was trying to explain the fact that oftentimes God really does some really cool things with the Hebrew language. He does some interesting things. He gave this as an example. He said this, this, this word for fear, go ahead and put that back up for me. Sorry, sorry, Tony. This word for fear written from right to left, um, you know, from this angle, he says, says fear. Everything about this is fear, fear, fear. He says, but if you take those same exact letters and write them in the, write, write them in the opposite direction, or if you would just read it the way we would read it, the word actually says to push forward with positive momentum. And isn't that interesting that even a word like this, you know, the enemy, the spirit of fear, wants to convince you and me that there's only one way to see something. There's only one, there's only one way that this happens. Fear it. It's going to be bad. It's going to be the worst thing. Like, fear, fear, fear. And yet, if you just change it, if you just flip that script, if you just want to take a lens by how God wants you to see something, he might be saying, push forward. Push through. There is a war happening that you are going to have to fight. You're going to have to knock down some strongholds and, and destroy some arguments, some false arguments, and put to death some things and, and surrender some things and take captive some things. Not the way the world does, but the way God does. Go back to that, fra that phrase in, in verse 4. It says how we do this. Well, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. We use God's mighty weapons. Well, what does that mean? Well, to the church in Ephesus, Paul actually gives a very long description of what he calls the armor of God. He talks a little bit about some, some specific things. I'll give you the quick gist. All right? He talks about this this. this full body armor kind of representing the righteousness that comes from Christ. He, he set us right with God. So we wear the fact that, that we are right with God, not because of our effort and who we are, but because of who Jesus is. We, we bind it together with the truth of the word of God. We, we have shoes that are shod with the, the peace of the good news. We go in peace. Understand we're going to war, but we're going in peace, right? Doesn't that make a little bit, that's kind of a contradiction, but the piece of the good news is that Jesus saves, Jesus loves, Jesus wants to redeem. That's, that's the forward motion. We have a helmet of salvation. And then the two things that I know you guys know, you know, in terms of just picturing a battle, is a shield. He calls it the shield of faith. And a sword. He calls it the sword of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the way it's described. 
So sometimes people hear the phrase spiritual warfare, okay? Spiritual warfare. And there's kind of this immediate assumption that it's this, you know, piercing the darkness, you know, uh, I can't remember who wrote that. Peretti, wasn't that when we grew up? Yeah, Blair and I are like, we, we, totally re- we were totally made to read that, right? Piercing the darkness, present. It's a fantastic book and fictional story. But it's always this picture of this light. You can't see it. There's angels and demons around every corner, and there's light and dark forces kind of combining. And, you know, there's, there's possession, and there's oppression, and there's things that you have to kind of work through. And you're going to ex- get physical examples of this, and you're going to have to go to war with those things. And understand what I'm saying. All of that is true. Okay, it's, all, it's all, not the books, but that idea, Paul actually writes about spiritual warfare like that. Like it, there is a battle. But the spiritual warfare that is most common, the stuff that you and I are going to experience 99% of the time, you, you, you may never have an opportunity in your life to cast out a demon in true demon possession doesn't mean you can't in the name of Jesus. You can't. You've been given the power and authority to do so by the blood of Christ. doesn't mean you, won't, you can't do that, or maybe you won't. It's just that it's highly unlikely. The warfare you're actually going to do, spiritual warfare, is where the Holy Spirit who resides in you, the Holy Spirit who indwells you, is at war with all of the false spirits that are coming at you in your life. Namely, the spirit of fear, as it's mentioned by by Paul, specifically saying there's a spirit of fear that's coming against you. Uh, There's a spiritual gift talked about called discernment. And that spiritual gift that's given talks about discernment in such a way that says, you know, discerning, discernment is actually not discerning like we would think discerning, but it's actually discerning whether a spirit is coming from God or not. Meaning that things can be spoken and done in a spirit that isn't from God. So you have to have, you know, that's why the church was given the gift of discernment. People were given the gift of discernment to be able to pick those things out, to be able to recognize if a spirit has come from God or not. Paul even tells us to test the spirits, right? Test the spirits. So this is what, this is the spiritual warfare that you and I are most common going to deal with day to day. We're the Holy Spirit that we're surrendering to And we're at war with the spirits that are attacking. And you have this shield of faith. And just think about the picture here. You have this shield of faith, this covering that's driven by faith the way way that the writer of Hebrews talks about it. It's confidence in what's unseen. It's assurance in what's unknown of things to come. Like it's, It's confidence and assurance because we place our whole trust in God. We don't trust in us. We place our trust in him. And it says it's going to extinguish the fiery darts. Talking about like the arrows, right? Picture, everybody start picturing medieval times, right? The fiery darts. It's going to extinguish the fiery darts that come at you. Means they won't stick. Means they won't wound. Means they won't, they won't take you out. Because you have this shield of trust. This shield of faith in God for everything. Is everybody starting to get a little bit of a picture here? Like, like when, the, when the enemy comes with a spirit of fear and tells you to worry about this and to be depressed about that and to, and to be driven by impatience about this, there is, the, there is a trust in God that already can be doing a work when those things come at you because you're really trusting in God for everything. So what do you have to worry about? What do you have to fear? What do you have to be ang- anxious over? 
That's where that do not fear comes in because this thing is going to extinguish. It doesn't mean they don't come. (laughs) Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago. It doesn't mean they don't come at you. They just don't take you out. We're pressed but not crushed. We're persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. And then we have the sword, this word of God, the sword of the spirit that does work against the spirit of fear. And I've been giving you examples of this all series long. I'm going to do a little bit more today, but just think about those those things that he calls us to do, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to to destroy false arguments. Here's some of the, the word of God against that. Don't worry about anything, right? Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Keep going. Then you're going to experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand, meaning that there's a peace you can experience that can't be quantified, can't be maybe explained. And it's that kind of peace that guards your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ. You have, to, you have to have it. The peace that comes from God in praying for everything, not letting things stick, not letting that, that worry and that anxiety and all those things kind of stick with you, to having that shield of trust in him and the sword of the Spirit to say, no, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to, I'm going to, go, to the, go to my Father with that who already knows all my needs. I'm going to do this to kind of demolish that stronghold so it doesn't set up camp. It guards my heart. It guards my mind. From the enemy setting up camp in me to, to warn me against the false human reasoning or the, the strongholds of human reasoning. Keep going. Demolishing false arguments for whoever wants to save their life is going to lose it. Whoever loses their life with me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? And yet, guys, I'm telling you, everything the spirit of fear is going to come after us about has everything to do with us in our life right now. Like everything the spirit of fear comes after you about has everything to do with the right now, with the present, with what's going on in your life, with your family and your pets and your spouse and your cousins and your job and your work and your life. And it's saying, look, if your pursuit is your life, that's a false pursuit. You're going to lose it anyway. But those who surrender that, those who surrender that are going to gain it. They're going to keep it. Keep going. We live by faith, not by sight. When false arguments come up, it's like, look, I, I know that's how you see things. I know that's how you understand things based on what is in front of you. But I do not live by sight. I live by faith. That's what I'm called. What about the proud obstacles and the pretensions? Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What did I just say earlier? You don't, have in mind, you, don't, you don't care about what God cares about. You only care about what humans care about. And that could be say, say the same for, that's true for you or me. And there's just some times where you've got to go, not today, Satan. Everybody with me? Right? Not today. That's not happening today, and it it needs to go beyond a saying and something you actually go to war with, because there's obstacles there, and every obstacle he places is going to have everything to do with you and human concerns and nothing to do with what God cares about. 
I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor, e- nor angels, nor demons, nor, nor the present, nor the future, keep going, nor powers, or neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is going to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is, again, Paul's just saying, look, like, like we're gonna, we cannot fall for the idea that you are so secure in your relationship with God, and then some little thing that's your button pushes, and you freak out, and you melt in fear, and you respond like somebody who doesn't even have faith. You, that can't happen, because there's not angels or demons or worries of today or fears of tomorrow. Nothing's going to be able to separate you. So why in the world? Would you fall for that pretension, that claim that that is certain when you already know, based on the spirit of the word, the word of God, that it isn't, that, that what he says is certain, what he says is absolute truth. Keep going. Take captive thoughts and surrender them to Christ. Again, this is the NIV version. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. All those intrusive thoughts that come your way. Listen, I understand. There's people who struggle with this more than others. But every one of those intrusive thoughts that that fuel the anxiety, that fuel the worry, that fuel the fear, that fuel the drive for success, that fuel all those things, you've got to to shut those down. And you've got to make it obedient to Christ, meaning you bring it in light to the mirror of the Word of God, and you bring the light to it and say, you have to obey this. And everything that's false and everything that's wrong needs to be gone. This is, uh, this is from, again, Jesus. I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Can you even add it? Can you add all your worries and add a single moment to your life? This is when he's talking about the birds and the flowers. Like, aren't you more valuable than birds? Aren't you more valuable than lilies in the field that literally are here today and tossed in the fire tomorrow? These are the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. What I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, what I'm going to wear. How many likes did I get? How many things did I do? How many people are going to show up to this thing? How many, you know, are they going to do this? Are, they, are things going to still happen in the market? Are the, is the market going to be okay? Is the house going to be okay? Is the government going to be okay? Is America going to be okay? These are the things that dominate the thoughts of people who don't know Jesus. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. That's the surrendering of our heart. That's the surrendering of those thoughts. When they rise up, and again, hear me say, they're going to rise up. The darts come. The war is on. We we continue to fall for that false pretension, that lie, that if God loves me, there won't be an enemy. There won't be a war. Please get that out of your head. Remember, I said this, I think, the first week, and I want to just say it, because if there's anything else you remember from the series... Let it be this, okay? Faith is not the absence of fear, but the presence of absolute hope. It is not the absence of the things we would be caused to cause us to fear. All those things are still going to come, but it's the presence of God. It's the presence of Jesus Christ, our absolute hope. It's his presence. We just got to be able to see it. We just got to be able to see it. And I was, I was thinking through just a way to end the series. I was like, oh, God, please just, I mean, I just kind of, the, the phrase just kept coming back and back and back to my heart and mind. Matter of fact, it's a chorus I remember learning to sing as a kid. And, and I remember the story of, of Elisha and his servant. 
And to give you a quick context, I'm going to read this as we close out. But, you know, Elisha was, you know, the prophet of God. He was helping the king of Israel. And Elisha was getting from God basically the plans of the enemy, King Aram. And he was kind of telling the king, hey, by the way, they're going to attack us on the left front, so let's go to the right. And this was happening over and over and over and over again. And we pick up here in 2 Kings. Let me just read this for you so you can see what I'm talking about. The king of Aram became very upset over all this. Of course, he was very frustrated. So he called his officers together and he demanded, which one of you is the traitor? He's convinced. Like, there's, these are, this is an inside job. Who's been informing the king of Israel of my plans? And all his, you know, it's not us, my lord the king. None of the officers, all the officers replied. He said, one of them replied this, hey, Elisha tells the king of Israel every word you speak in privacy of your bedroom. Like, he's basically throwing it at him like, Elisha's got some wicked game, you know? It's like he's, he's, he's able to tell the king just secrets that only you know. Fine, go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops and seize him. And the report came back. Hey, Elisha's in Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to, what's the word? Say it out loud. Oh, surround the city. When the servant of the man woke up, this is his, his, you know, his helper. It's like he woke up the next day, walked outside, you know, like he'd been doing every other day, you know, and he sees all these troops and these horses and the chariots everywhere. They are surrounded. And he goes to Elisha and says, oh, sir, what will we do now? <laughs> Everything was great till now. What are we going to do now? It's that spirit of fear grips him. Well, Elisha says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than theirs. So you get, I want you to see this. Elisha does not pretend the enemy is not surrounding them. Everybody with me? He doesn't pretend that the thing that they're fearing doesn't exist. He doesn't have, it's not blind faith. It's not something where he's just like, oh, you know, that does, that's probably not even that real. No, it's very real. He's like, no, it's okay, don't be afraid. And his solution to that is, you need to know there's more for us. There's more on our side than his. And then here's the phrase that just kept coming back. Elisha then prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. Oh God, just open his eyes and let him see. And, and, and God answered it. He opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. He, he saw the army of God that was there. And sometimes, guys, I just want you to know, like, sometimes we are so, because of that response nature that we have and because we haven't done the work and we haven't prepared ourselves with that response plan, we haven't, we're, not, we're not wearing the armor of God the way we should Sometimes it's easy to get surrounded and to feel surrounded and trapped by that spirit of fear. And, and, and Elisha just says to the guy, look, don't be afraid. He already sees it. He's already sees it. Show him. Open his eyes. Let him see that there's more on our side than theirs, that, that what you think has you surrounded, it's surrounded by God. old song. I don't know if you guys remember this old song. It was an old Maranatha song. 
Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. Anybody know that song? To reach out and touch him. Sing it with me. And say that we love him. Open our ears. Open our ears, Lord. Help us to listen. And help us to listen. We say, open our eyes, God. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. And as that just kind of enveloped me praying through this, let's pray this together as we close. God, I just, I'm so thankful for that chorus and those lyrics that just continued to, from however many years ago, I remember singing that song, Rise Up in Me, as I was thinking through the series of messages and this, this whole series of understanding what the battle looks like, the war that's required to help us have a response plan to get to the other side of fear. And God, I just, I'm so thankful that, that it's as simple as that simple phrase and prayer that Elisha spoke. God, open our eyes. We just want to see you. Open our eyes. When we're stuck, when, we're, when the triggers come, when we're succumb to fear and that spirit of fear or any other spirit that has made its way through, God, give us the faith and your word to be able to demolish false arguments and to knock over those strongholds that have taken us the captive and to help us take those thoughts captive. By your name, we pray that. Jesus. Amen.